So we're starting a new study as we have finished up our Old Testament study, and then we had Advent. And so we're going to be studying the book of Ephesians um, for the next few weeks as we go and leads up to Easter and then a little bit after. And so we're going to be breaking this apart as we go through it. And so just to give you a little bit of background for Ephesus, so if you go to modern-day Western Turkey, you will find Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a busy port city, um, not anymore because it's filled with silt, so it's lost its understanding as of being a big port city. But at that point, it was one of the four to five largest cities in that um, area. And as it was one of these big cities, uh, as you can probably think, as most people think of big cities a lot of times, there's a lot of things that were crass, uh, very materialistic, uh, very pagan, uh, very much into superstition. And they even have, even to this day, you can go and see, they have the what they say is the um, oldest advertisement for the worst of human activity. So it shows even now a, a footprint leading to the place where you can go to a place of ill repute uh, right across from the library. And so you could actually, they had set it up so that you could go to the library and pretend and then go secretly to the place of ill repute. And so this was going on in Ephesus. And so there was corruption, there's filth, degradation. So does it sound familiar? So the question then for us is, how do we take what was written so many years ago and apply it to our situation now? Because what happens is Paul is writing this, and we probably think he's writing this as Neil has already read from us. He's probably writing from prison in Rome to the Ephesus church. And so as he's in prison, you think that there's some, there's challenges. There's such a great opposition to what's going on. And Paul's in prison. Shouldn't he just quit? Shouldn't he just give up? I mean, Paul's, Paul, you've done enough. But Paul takes this opportunity to not quit, but to find strength in Jesus Christ. He doesn't run from the situation. He runs to it. Now, part of this, I want you to, to continue to read this whole book. It's a very small book, but I want you, as you have opportunity to go through this, because sometimes um, it becomes overwhelming as we begin to unpack it verse by verse. So I don't want you to lose the big picture. And so the big picture is this. The first three chapters is our position in Christ. We are in Christ and because we're in Christ, then looking at, verse, at chapters 4 through 6, this is how we then should live as believers in Christ. And so again, I want you to keep the big picture um, because I don't want you to lose the trees within the midst of the forest. Okay? So I want you to, to continue to read through it each week so that we can come here and then we can begin to unpack it verse by verse, which is what we'll do this morning as we look at verses 1 and 2. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word and as we begin a new study, Lord, we ask that you would allow the Holy Spirit to move in such a way that, again, we are called like Paul was called, 
to run to the fight, that, Lord, that we would understand that we have the greatest gift in prayer. We have the most powerful being that we worship. And so all these things that the world brings against us in opposition are nothing to you. So, Father, you teach us, you equip us, and send us forth to preach this gospel message. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We're going to unpack these two verses. And so the first thing we're going to look at is the first statement, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. And so we're going to see how God uses his word, and he does this by human authors. And we know that. And so the first thing that he reminds us of in this passage is that Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, why is this important? Well, apostles were appointed as messengers specifically by Jesus. They are to represent Jesus and to build the foundation of the church. How do we know this? If you look at Acts chapter 1 and looking at verses 21 through the end of the chapter, this is where they're trying to replace um, Judas. It says, so one of the men, and these are the qualifications, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward only two, Joseph called, whatever, who was also called Justice and Matthias, And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place for the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. So you have the the first eleven that we thought was twelve with Judas. Judas turns... So then they had to replace that number. And again, what Peter does is he goes back to the Psalms. And that's what the two quotients are. And so he replaces them with Matthias. And there were qualifications. You had to be with Jesus from the time that he was baptized. You had to witness his going and coming with the other apostles. You had to be there for the resurrection from the dead. There were qualifications. So if someone comes to you today and say that they're a a modern day apostle, they can't be. Scripture is very clear of these are the qualifications for what it means to be an apostle. People who are eyewitnesses that go as God's messengers and have his authority to build the church and the foundation of that church at that moment. So you have the 12 that are there now, but then also God gives to one other person, Paul. And he gives to Paul in regards to Paul's conversion experience that happens on the road to Damascus, Acts 9, verses 1 through 19, if you want to go there later on. And you can read of his conversion experience. Now, part of this is because God is showing to us that he can radically change anyone. Remember, Paul is someone who's going out and he's killing Christians. And he's on his way to Damascus to carry that out. But on the road, he has an experience with the living God. He's blinded. He's told to go and wait. And then God goes to Ananias and he says, hey, go talk to Paul. And Ananias is like us. I don't trust this guy. And God, why would you choose this person to be an apostle for you? 
He's killed people. Now, part of this is to, to give Paul his courage to go forth, but also it gives to him his purpose. He is to be someone to build the foundation of the church and specifically to the Gentiles. And so you have God putting together these apostles, the 12 plus Paul, to stand and set the agenda for the whole church. Now, how does that apply for us then? It means that we as believers, when we speak the word of God, we speak God's truth to others. That's why speaking the gospel from scripture is such a big deal here. It's why in Sunday school you have Bible teaching. It's why when you go to Bible studies, you have Bible teaching. It's God's word that we preach. It's not our own. And so it's a big deal for us to be speaking the truth of Christ to all. Now he's given his calling specifically because um, he says, I'm become an apostle by the will of God. Now, part of that is for us to understand that, again, there's a general calling from this perspective. That means all of us are to speak, even the one who is the greatest of sinners. Truth is found in the power of the word itself. Now, does it mean that it's not a big deal? It does mean a big deal, but it also means that people who don't even believe the truth, if they're speaking the gospel truth, truth is truth. And so we need to recognize and understand that there's power in the word. So we are to be prepared to speak the word all the time, even if you're just simply reading from your your phone or your tablet to other people. The power of God is through his word and through the spirit. So there's a general calling, but there's a very specific calling that Paul had. And he was called to be an apostle, so he had purpose and he had his place. Just like all of us, God comes and he gives you purpose to preach the gospel kingdom wherever you are in whatever specific place you've been given. Which means that I'm no holier because I'm a pastor up here and I preach on a Sunday. I'm only one of many missionaries. I'm not above you. I'm not below you. We all are called to preach the gospel. And God says, here is where I have placed you. Now be faithful. And so he calls us to be that. But then he also gives to us his authority. So again, it's the will of God. He gives us the right to speak. We speak the truth. And as we speak the truth, it is God who then changes people. And I want you to to recognize that, please. God is the one who changes men, and he's the one who changes the world. And so what he gives to us in the midst of this authority is the opportunity, even in the midst of opposition. I hate to tell you this, but God has been very clear in his word. He told us very specifically, it's going to get worse before it gets better. So if you're ticked off now about what's going on, it's going to get really bad. Why? Because God told us that. So we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be ticked off at God. We shouldn't be raising our fists at God and saying, what did you do? You messed up. And what does God say to us? 
I gave men over to their own desires. We want to be comfortable, don't we? I do. I want things, I want taxes to be low. I want everyone in my neighborhood to to cut their grass, to not park illegally, not allow their dog droppings to remain in my grass without picking them up. I want to have a a good living, a good retirement. I want to get to a place where we can go on cruises again and travel around the world. So what if God gives none of that back to us? Is he less in control? Do we worship him less? See, God brings us and he says, in the midst of overwhelming opposition, there's still hope for those people. And where that hope? See, we're called, and do we not believe that God is here in Melbourne? Like he was for Paul in Ephesus? Did he not go before Paul? In Ephesus, did he not go before Paul in Rome? So if God was faithful then, why do we believe that he's not going to be faithful now? God is here. And we have been called to be those examples in whatever position you've been placed in. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're retired, uh, to your neighbors, to your co-workers, to your extended family, you have been called. And it doesn't matter if you say, but I'm a young person. One of the greatest uh, theologians um, went out in Scotland at 14 years old into the Highlands and read this book and came back and changed. And he changed most of Scotland by doing so. God uses all people. Young people, old people, there is no retirement. He uses all of us to go forth and speak his word to a watching world. So that's our first thing, that we have the authority to go out, even in the midst of opposition, we are called to go forth because we bring hope and grace and mercy on behalf of Christ. So God's word continues to go forth, but he also says it in the next thing, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So it's to God's people that Paul is writing this book to. Now he says to the saints, now we have to um, unpack this a little bit because we live in the day that we do. And so a lot of times people take this as in a religious understanding, which means that it is, uh, we look at the works of men. So we go to different places and we say, oh, well, this person's a holy man. Now, what makes that man holy? Well, just because he sits in a diaper and he has weird hair and all that kind of stuff doesn't mean that he's better than you. Saints in the Catholic Church, it's based on their works. And so don't be praying to saints. Jesus says to pray to him. It's not about what we can do for God. It's about what Christ is doing through us. And so what he does is we have to look to the works of Christ. We have to look at what he does. And when he does that, what he does is he opens up to all people. Now that sounds really great until we actually start to think of who that applies to. 
As I was doing the study, I, I got to an article by Rachel, Rachel Welcher, and it's on Jeffrey Dahmer. And her title of the article was Sharing Heaven with Serial Killers. And she began to unpack it about how um, Pastor Roy Ratcliffe used to go into the prison and witness to Jeffrey Dahmer about Christ. And Jeffrey Dahmer, in an interview, then says that he had given his life to Christ after murdering people, after eating people. And the point of the article is, would we be accepting of someone like that in heaven? Would there be a desire for us to go and meet Jeffrey Dahmer when we go to heaven? Or would, is our idea of grace just a little bit nicer, just a little bit purer than the grace of Christ? See, all are welcome. And Rachel Walter in her article says, why do I believe and why do I continue to share about the Jeffrey Dahmer story? She says, because that means there's hope for me. There's hope for me that I can be saved by Christ. And there's hope for other people who've done horrible, horrible things. But then she says at the end, the reason is because God gets the glory and none of us. See, God changes life, and it's not just Jeffrey Dahmer in prison. If you want, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 33. This is the story of Manasseh, and Manasseh becomes a king when he's 12 years old, and he reigns for 55 years, and what he does is he starts to do everything that's evil in the world. See, he goes so far as to even kill his own children. He sacrifices his own children. He goes and starts to do witchcraft, and he's with sorcerers. He sets up false worship, even within the church, and he does all evil. But he gets to the place where he is found at a place where he has to cry out to God. And God hears his cry. And he restores him. Do we really believe that God can change the hearts of Pelosi and Biden and Harris and others? Are we praying to that end or do we look at them and say they're beyond hope? No one's beyond hope. And we have been called specifically as saints, as Christians, to be found faithful in praying for these people. And if it has to be that they get to the place where they're in chains to cry out to God, then so be it. But so be it with us. What is it that God had to do in your life to bring you to the very end of yourself, to where you had to look up to him and said, I'm done trying to fix it on my own. All to you I give, and all to you I owe. See, he comes and he changes our hearts, and so he's writing to the Christians in Ephesus. And as he's writing to them, he's telling them, and listen very carefully to this, become in practice what you are in position. Become in practice what you are in position. You, and listen, what is that? First Peter says it in chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so how do we respond to that as Christians? Beloved, now I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. As Christians, we seek holiness, righteousness, and justice. And that's who Paul's speaking to in Ephesus. He says, you are the Christians in the city of Ephesus that are called to preach the gospel. And he says, not only are you in Ephesus, but you're being faithful in what? In Christ. So they understood, again, the first three chapters. Why are we faithful? Because God looks at Jesus and not at us. Thank goodness. I don't want any of you to see the unedited version of my thought life. Why? Because I'm not always nice to my wife. I'm not always nice to my children. I say bad things at the TV station or the radio shows just like you do. So I don't want you to see me, and I definitely don't want God to see me. Who does he need to see? He needs to see Christ, the perfection, the giver of life. And so as we're in Christ, he then calls us to a life of faithful perseverance, which means that we are about gospel living. Now, again, if you looked at the Christian people who were in the temple or in, or in the synagogue, not the temple, but in the synagogue, and those Gentile converts, you would look at them in comparison to the number of people in the city of Ephesus, and you would say, this isn't a big deal. You, don't, you guys can't change the world, let alone the city of Ephesus. The truth can be said of us. We're an insignificant Presbyterian church in an insignificant city, except that we send up rockets. And we build defense, we have defense contracts. We're insignificant. But God. But God. And God can change the world. And so when he calls us, he brings to us a gospel living, which means he gives to us a new community. That's what we're here for. And again, I would ask you that you would, wouldn't just be a Sunday service person, but that you get to know other people. You would begin to pray for these people and know what they look like. If you don't know someone in here, look around, even look around during your sermon. At least that'll keep you awake. But look around and go, who do I not know here? Who do I need to get to know? Who do I need to introduce myself to? Because these are the people that are going to be the ones that come and put my shutters up for the hurricane. These are the people who are going to drop off food when I, have to, when I can't go out for COVID. These are the people that are come and be a part of my life. Well, I don't like those people. They don't like you either. That's why it's called love. 
Because we die to ourselves and we live for Christ. It's Christ who changes us. And as he changes us, he does give us this new community, but he also gives us new standards. Again, I, I say anybody can come here. God doesn't say be fixed, look good to come to church. But he never leaves anybody alone at church. Anybody can come. But then God, by his spirit, begins to change us. And as he begins to change us, then we find ourselves establishing new relationships. And and again, I'm very clear about this. The more that we get the vertical right, the more the horizontal gets right. If I start thinking God did a good thing by saving me, because I'm pretty good compared to a lot of people. So God, you, you did okay by choosing me. The day that I start thinking that way is the day that I start judging you about whether you measure up to Christ or not. But the day that I figure out that God loved me because he chose to love me because he chose to love me and there was nothing lovable about me sure allows me to begin to look at other people and go, God loves you the way he loved me. And you did nothing to earn it. And you couldn't be good enough. But God loved you. See, that's what he's calling us to be in regards to living out our faith in Christ. And when he does that, he gives us a very specific message. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing we got to figure out is God's grace. And here's how you define grace. It's the unmerited favor of God. It's not when we accepted him. He didn't say, now I start to love you. It's not when uh, we became good people according to the world standard that he begins to love us. He started to love us before time. That's the good news. That God so loved you that he gave his son, Jesus Christ. See, we've really got to believe that. Because if we don't, then what we do is we start to listen to what the world has to offer. And it sounds really great, doesn't it? Let's just all be loving and just all be accepting of everything that everybody does. And let's be gender neutral. Let's be do all this kind of stuff. That's, that's lies. We have to maintain the truth because God's ways are best. An open marriage is not going to save our society. Well, we can sleep around with whoever we want. We're just so in love with each other. We're just so into each other that we could give ourselves away to anybody. It's not going to affect us. Bull. Anybody who has lived any length of time that has found someone who is a Christian, who loves God more than the individual person and then loves the other person like Christ loves the church, knows that that's the only safe relationship. And those aren't even perfect. 
to be fully known for everything that's wrong about you and still loved. That's amazing grace. So the world sits out there and goes, yeah, come, do whatever you want, be whatever you want, sleep with whoever you want. It's all good. And anybody who's lived it knows that's not the answer. But until we get to that part, then we don't understand the power of grace in our lives when we see that Jesus has paid everything for us. See, it's the power of grace. And when we receive the power of grace, we understand that it's a gift. Now think about this, especially as American Christians. We hate getting gifts, don't we? And here's why. Because a lot of us say, uh, you really shouldn't have done that. But most of us, if we're honest, if someone has come to your house and they've brought a gift, then what do you think? i got to give them a gift back. And so what happens, it's not an act of mercy because we feel indebted to repay. Instead of saying, hey, I've been blessed. Now, I joke with a person who comes to my house often, and, and we talked about this year, hey, let's not exchange gifts for Christmas. Let's just go to a nice dinner. Everybody pay their way and everything like that. Well, then I went out and still got a gift for this person. Okay? Um, but they didn't get me a gift. So being the great, gracious pastor you are, I just have said, take my gift and be blessed. no. Every time they come over to the house, well, it would have been nice to get a Christmas gift. Now, again, tongue in cheek. But it does suggest at the core of my heart, there is a part of me that goes, well, I gave you a gift. Where's my gift? And I think sometimes we deal with like that with God. I've done these things for you, God. Now you owe me. I prayed about this election and you did me wrong. I gave my money to this and things aren't still the way that I think they should be. I give my money to this church and Pastor Jeff is still the pastor. I want a new one. (laughs) We're not beyond that. Do we get and grasp that the gift of grace is found at the foot of the cross. And we can't repay him. Ever. And here's the good news. He never expected us to. He says, come to the foot of the cross, for my son has shed his blood for you to give to you his righteousness. So when he's resurrected and he sits, he sits at God's right hand and he gives to us his intercession. He prays for you by name. He knows you by name and he loves you more than you can ever dream or imagine. And so he gives to us that grace, but then he also says he gives to us his peace. 
And the power that's found in the peace, it's the word shalom. And it goes beyond just the absence of conflict. The shalom that's given to us means that we're supposed to be the prototype of the finished product. We are. We're supposed to be living out peace and we're supposed to be giving peace to one another. Not holding back, not judging other people, not sliding other people. This place, of all places, the church should be a place of forgiveness and mercy and grace. It doesn't mean that we don't have times where we disagree. We're always going to disagree. But how we respond in love and truth makes a difference. So much so that Jesus says, they'll know you are Christians by your love. Not for him, but how we love one another. How we do it. See, we take the peace that God has given to us, and as a prototype, we begin to give the gift of peace. Which means that as he has fixed our relationship with God through Christ, we begin to love other peoples as ourselves. That's what Mike talked about last week. Let me give you this real-life situation. When Watchman Nee was talking about one of the people in his church, and he talked about a, a Chinese Christian who had built his uh, area of land, his rice field, was on a hill. And so every day he had to go out, and he had to take the water up to the hill to water his land. But he found out that his neighbor, who was underneath him, had done, uh, dug holes into the wall. And so all of this water that he had been trumping up the hill was flowing down into his neighbor's garden to do his rice fields. So this Chinese Christian was angry and he wanted to go confront, but he went to the church and the church said, please, for the sake of the gospel, do not go and confront this man. Go fix your holes. So this Christian man does one better. And so the next day he goes out, and before he waters his field, he goes and waters the neighbor's field. And then late into the evening, he goes and waters his fields. And the neighbor asks why. See, the more that we understand the grace and the peace that are given to us, the more we can give it away. Is it costly? Yes. but it's changing lives. But maybe you're the person and you've, you hear this and you think, I've done something so bad I can't be forgiven. And so maybe you're your own worst critic and you have to find peace within yourself. And God comes and he says, I'm going to change your mind, your spirit, and your heart. There is nothing that anybody can do here on this earth that can keep us from the love of Christ and being forgiven. So if you have been coming to church and you have been beat up and beat up and beat up of never, ever being good enough, it's true. But Jesus is. And he gives to you his grace and he says, just come For my burden is light, but come to me. Then we begin to grasp and understand what it means to give grace and peace to others. 
Let me finish with the song that we're about to sing. It's called Amazing Grace. And it's written by John Newton. And John Newton had a hard life by all stretch of imaginations. His mother died of tuberculosis before he turned seven. And so he stayed with his father. And at the age of 11, he was put into the service of the merchant navy. 11 years old. And he found himself being on many ships. He even got into the Royal Navy. But he was so unsettled in his behavior and so resistant that he was flogged. He was taken out. He was put on multiple ships. And this is what he says about himself. I sinned with a high hand and desire to take many people with me. He finds himself in the midst of the slave trade, going back and forth. But during one of these times, he enters into a storm. Now, who wants to be in a storm? He enters a storm. He gives his life to Christ. Because he remembered the things his mother taught him before she died. He then leaves the service. He's part of changing the slave trade forever. But he takes a little church and he gets a man called William Cowpepper or Cowper. He's a a poet and a musician. And in the small church, what they started to do was to write a hymn every week and put it to popular tunes. And out of that came the hymn, Amazing Grace. Do you believe that the grace that Jesus Christ has given to you is truly amazing to you? This is how we start the book of Ephesians. You have been given the authority of Jesus Christ to preach the gospel. To take it forth because you are a Christian saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. To go and to preach good news of grace and peace and mercy to a dying world. Even people who live in Washington, D.C. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the challenge that you give us is not always what we want. But yet, Father, I'm so grateful that you have equipped us, that you allow us to go forth as people who are changed by the gospel, to see people who need the gospel. And so, Father, I ask that as we go through this study of this book of Ephesians, as we look at the life of those who lived in Ephesus in opposition to the world, to Paul who was in prison, to all the things that make us uncomfortable, that you would call us to be faithful to go forth and to preach the gospel, to live it out, to set captives free, to heal the sick, to be faithful in preaching. Father, thank you that you gave to us examples and you will continue to use us, not because of us, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Let this church be a beacon of, of hope and light in the midst of darkness. May we be seen as those good citizens who maintain the truth of the scripture but love the way that Christ loved. May it always be said of us, for truly we are saved because 
of your amazing grace. May we never take it for granted. For this we pray in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.